Thank you for listening in today to episode number nine of My Awakening Podcast. Today's guest is Marcus, and he and I were recently introduced to one another through one of our previous guests. Upon meeting Marcus, I quickly realized that he would be able to help us all to better understand many elements of racism from his somewhat traumatic and important lived perspective. Welcome to you, Marcus, and thank you for being our guest today. We would love to hear some about your early years, including your journey to Tacoma. Well, thank you for having me. Again, my name is Marcus Rogers, and uh, yes, uh, our mutual friend Josh brought me to the table. I'm so appreciative of that. Um, I've actually been in the Tacoma area for quite a while, since 1987, actually. Graduated from high school in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and was looking for somewhere else to to move and landed here in Tacoma where my grandfather stayed. So, uh, military brat that was in the air force. So, uh, moved around quite a bit from Virginia to Chicago to Little Rock to Tacoma. Hmm. So here I am a few years later with a couple kids and on your podcast. <laughs> yes. Amen. Good. Yes, Absolutely. Well, moving from moving from Arkansas, I just graduated from high school and had some plans to actually be an underwater welder on an offshore oil, oil uh, rig. And that didn't quite work out. The The gentleman who were who was supposed to be maybe looking out for me to go through the process actually passed a couple of months before graduation. So I had finished all of my welding certificates my senior year of high school because at that time a lot of African Americans uh, and particularly males were being pushed to go to trade schools we me and a lot of my friends we talk about that a lot to the day uh, there wasn't a lot of conversation about us going to college unless you were an athlete uh, our counselors really pushed us to go to trade schools and we now look back at that and realized that that was part of a, we felt like it was part of a plan to um, keep us in a position where we had to work for someone else versus thinking out the bait, out the gate in reference to what we wanted to do for ourselves. So um, not knowing and not understanding and not necessarily having uh, all of the particular um, things in place to help me to understand that there were more for me. I did just that. My, my senior year of high school, I went half the year and I ended up getting, getting my certification. So I was a certified welder by the time I graduated from high school, but I needed to be 18 to get my driving. I mean, my, my diving permit, which allows you to put the two together uh, prior to me turning 18 and graduating the gentleman who put me in a position to go after this goal actually passed. And I just didn't know how to pursue this on my own. And I just knew I was ready to move from Arkansas. Didn't really want to go back to Chicago at the time. Just way too many family and friends lost uh, for all the right or wrong reasons and chose Tacoma. You know, I came up here and just loved it came at the right time of the year, summertime. Yeah. They didn't tell me how much rain was going to be around the corner, but I learned to live with it. And my grandfather was the anti-clock doctor. They called him the clock doctor out in Lakewood. And 
quickly got to know the community because he was so involved with the community. So that's how I ended up in Tacoma, actually, and didn't have a whole bunch of direction. So uh, the goal was to go to school. But quickly uh, that changed as I needed to go to work and had um, my first son on the way. So I stopped going to school and started working full time. And basically, um, I don't know, up until he was about three, I was just a single dad, just me and my son. And uh, his mom was, a, you know, not quite ready to be the mom. So at six months, I, I basically took care of him and he and I just kind of rocked and rolled until, uh, you know, I was married and ended up with another. Now I have two adult children and uh, they're both incredible young men that totally understand their path and what they want in life, which is very proud to say as a father, you know, because yes. to be confused is it's just no fun. You know, so the sooner you figure out what you kind of like in life, I kind of think it's very helpful, you know, so. Indeed. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have other uh, siblings that joined you coming here to Tacoma or other family that just remained back? Uh... Briefly, briefly. I, I have a younger sister who moved to Tacoma for a, a couple of years. Uh, she moved from Dallas and she uh, stayed for a little while. But the, the, the community just wasn't diverse enough, I think, for her. Uh, and she chose to move back to Chicago. I have a brother who did move out. And he's stayed, so he's my older brother, and he's been here for quite a while. But, you know, the um, the beautiful weather is great, but the diversity is not there like it is maybe back east and down south. And that's really, really important to some people to stay connected to their community in a daily type way versus kind of having to potentially seek it out in areas where it's not as diverse you know, which uh, it's not a bad thing, but everybody don't want the extra work to find their comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that when uh, that was something you discovered when you got here then and you yes. sort of navigated that process yourself? I did. I did. You know, I, I never was uncomfortable around different people. You know, when we moved from Chicago to Arkansas, my mom moved us there because my father was murdered. And we needed to find a safer place. Uh, so that's how we ended up moving down south. But um, the experience wasn't quite that great right out the gate. She purchased a home. And I remember while we were in the house showing she was showing us the house that she had purchased. The neighbor shot all the windows out of the back of our car. And my mom made a decision that that was not going to run her out of the community because we were the only black people in that neighborhood at that time. You know, my dad was in the air force and when he passed, uh, it gave some comfort for my mother to, to purchase and she wanted to purchase in a nice community that wasn't quite ready for us. Okay. Let's not go too fast past some of these. Okay. Got it. Crazy things that happened to you. I'd like the listeners and I personally would like to hear yeah, my dad was murdered and we had these windows shut out when we were looking for a house. It's just normal everyday business for you, I guess, huh? Well, I, I think, mean, can you can you maybe <laughs> right, break it down a little bit? Well, I think that um you know, you 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 learn 
by seeing and watching and experiencing things, you know, uh, living in Chicago was, uh, it was a little bit of a challenge in reference to finding, you know, I think what was comfort for my, for my mom and dad, we moved from one spot to the other, but never really was able to, um, distance ourselves, I guess, from racial inequality or crime or, you know, whatever it may have been that was causing life to be difficult. I was too young to really understand all the details, but I had an understanding of the fact that I was different, you know, just based off of how my family were treated in a lot of situations. And you don't really understand all those things until you get older sometimes. But, you know, I, I, I quickly understood how to, um, I guess maybe adopt survival tactics and so not to be so easily shaken because there's potentially another situation right around the corner that's going to feel the same. So do you mind if I ask a little bit more about this? Sure. So uh, your father was in the Air Force? Air Force, yes. Was he in the Air Force when you were in Chicago? No, he had he had got out. He He had got out the Air Force. He was working for the post office. Um, I think that the military was, you know, I'm not a hundred percent positive why he chose the military. I I actually recently just about a year ago found out that uh, he actually was accepted in Harvard and passed all of the tests and everything and took a few classes, but then he was drafted. So I often think about how different my life had been or could have been potentially not that I'm complaining, but had my father had the opportunity to feel the need to go to school versus to go serve a country that potentially really didn't serve him back because, you know, when he came back, I think that there's a lot of things that changed from him because of the military and, um, which is a whole nother story. But I think that, um, we have always understood how smart my actual father was. We, we've had a lot of conversation around the family about how he just would sleep through class, <laughs> but he was a straight A student. So he was a pretty sharp guy, but I think he felt the right thing for him to do was to go serve in the military, which is the choice that he made. Um, so once he finally had an opportunity to get out, he did get out. And I think he was just ready to pursue some to pursue some different things and just never really had a chance to to truly fully do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, we moved from one part of the city to another, you know, to the nicest part. Some of them, you know, live in Oak Park uh, towards the end of my 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 stay in Chicago. But it it, it still did not uh, buffer us from some of was just a normal kind of everyday things in life as an African-American, I think. Yeah. Well, Chicago remains a fairly violent city from all the news we hear from back there. So it hasn't, uh, I don't know if that's a more recent, uh, explosion of, of, um, uh, murders and whatnot that have been happening the last several years, or if it's just a continuation of this process that you're describing that happened to your, your family, uh, when you were, how old were you then when your father was murdered? Seven. Okay. So old enough to know. 
Yeah. Very, very, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of little things that just happen along the, the way that you don't really think about until you're older, you know, yeah. you begin to look back at your life as a kid and think about what were the fun things that you did? What were the traumatic things that happened? You know, what, what, what memories do you have? And, you know, I think I probably have more negative memories as a, as far as my childhood versus uh, just fun ones, just because I think that, you know, we, we remember the things that are probably most moving to us, I guess, in life, you know. So I don't want to uh, dwell on that or Absolutely. have you have to have conversation about stuff that we don't need <laughs> to go any further with. But so moving ahead a little bit, then the situation that you described earlier about your mom, then after your dad was had died and uh, you had, were moving, looking to another buy another house, right? And you say you were you were looking in it. Your mother was looking in a neighborhood where she was clearly not welcome, or your family was clearly not welcome because it's a black family in a white neighborhood or something. I'm assuming correct. And and you said they actually shot out the windows in her car. Yes, which emboldened her further that okay, they're not gonna they're not gonna intimidate us. That's so exactly tell us a, tell us a little more about that. Well, I think you know by the time we had moved to Arkansas, you know, clearly my parents had went through way more than I probably could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that wasn't enough to shake my mom. She was like, <laughs> you know, she was not about to do something different than what her plans were. You know, she's an incredibly strong, strong woman and has uh, stood the test of time through a few things. And that one was minor to her, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she sold her place in Chicago. She researched Little Rock, Arkansas and North Little Rock, Arkansas. She made a decision. She bought the house. It was done. It was a surprise to us as the kids. So she was not going to let that surprise change in any way shape or form because of a few neighbors you know so it was in little rock that the windows were shot out of the car yes by the neighbors right across the street and that happened literally when she was looking at the house no she had already purchased a home Oh, okay so then she was she brought us to arkansas to say hey look here's you guys here's our new home so it was at that time so the house house was already purchased. Okay. So she she was not going to waver, you know. Um, and we it's funny because those neighbors end up being our best friends. Yeah, without a doubt, they ended up being just super good friends. But it was something that was uncomfortable for them. But it wasn't uncomfortable for my mom. You know, she had already learned how to be uncomfortable. Wow. It's a method to being able to survive, I think, which means, you know, you have to be resilient and, you know, focused on what you want and know that everybody is not going to want what you want. So I don't think that that's something out of the ordinary for minorities, African-Americans in particular. Well, I I, I don't want to get lost in one particular thing, but I hope you realize how... I don't know even what I would say, but how unusual that sounds to me. And I'm guessing most of our listeners 
these are not the kind of things that we have ever experienced or even know anybody that's experienced the kind of things you're describing here. So um, that really adds a weightiness for me to understanding when you say figuring out survival and how to kind of navigate forward as best you're able, that adds more weightiness to that. What that really means for you is not just what I might think of how to get through life. Right. You see. So I, I hope you understand that. I do. I do. And you know, I think, um, that's, I think that's a really important piece for our, for our listeners to get here. Well, you know, and I didn't, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're being prepared for when you're young. You just know that you're watching your parents and you're learning and you're listening and you by default just learn things by, by watching. And, you know, there, there's been situations I think in my life and in many other African Americans lives where we didn't know how prepared we were for situations until they happened because we watched our parents go through it. So we knew what to do. We knew what not to do. We had patience. We had, you know, the mindset, even at the age of six, seven years old, to not say, to not move, to not ruffle the feathers, so to speak, because of whatever potentially could happen. You know, I think I learned probably at five or six how to view law enforcement. You know, um, I remember, you know, my my father's place being robbed once and making sure that I was being quiet while this was happening to not awaken anyone in the home and make the situation worse. But at the same time, there was such a distrust for law enforcement way back then that my dad was not interested at all at calling law enforcement. Cause he said, that'll just make it worse, which I was like a little confused, but I didn't think much more about it. And I think that there are situations like this that happen in the African American community over and over and over again, that by default teaches us what we should and shouldn't, trust in you know and granted I've never had any especially at that time I've never had any encounters with law enforcement you know you you wake up and watch cartoons and you want to be a firefighter or a policeman or whatever it is that you want to be until you see that in a different light which it ain't going to take long if you're an African American to have an opportunity to choose differently about how you think about law enforcement based off of what you will see in your community and how people are potentially treated. It's not going to take long and it has nothing to do with if you're doing something right or wrong. It's just a matter of being there. Is, do you feel that that is, um, uh, a pervasive attitude yet today? Very much so in the black community. Very much so, just because, you know, we, we, we clearly see a lot of things that are going on, but yeah. this is just as of late, you know. I mean, what about all the things that we've never seen and we've heard of and heard about, but no one's ever really had a camera in yeah. their pocket as until the last maybe 10 years or so. And then also, you know, um, it's the idea of how sometimes... Um, we're perceived when we have a conversation around 
an uncomfortable situation. And the first thing that generally will come to mind for someone who's maybe, you know, Caucasian and older is like, well, what did you do wrong? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, sometimes bad encounters have nothing to do with if I did something right or wrong. Most often I'm just here, you know, and I think that I think I don't think that people believe that that's true, that sometimes it's just a matter of being here in this place at this time and the encounter happens and there's an intimidating factor already with law enforcement. So if you put that with, you know, a bad morning that they may have had with their wife at home, it's been very um, known that it's a tough job. But I think that when it comes to how minorities have potentially been treated by people, not just law enforcement, but people with potential privilege over us in some way, shape or form. It's just not believable to people. It's like, no, that just can't happen. Well, no, this happens all the time. These systems are in place and it's just real. And I think that some minorities have a better way of juggling and balancing it and being successful. And others may not have the same type of tools to uh, pull out and be successful in some way, shape or form, you know, um, the, these kind of, uh, circumstances you're describing fall under the category that reminds me of driving while black, or you might call it living while black, I guess, in a real generic sense. Um, you're describing, this is just stuff that happens to black people. It, it really does. And white people have a hard time acknowledging and realizing that's that it's true that driving while black is a real thing it isn't just made up by people who got a bunch of tickets no it's not it's 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 simply not i mean i've had more than my fair share of uh negative encounters with uh people not just law enforcement but just just people that they just may not understand that uh, I mean no harm or I'm not uh, I'm not in any any way shape or form a threat to you, but yet and still you you react because of my my skin color and not not nearly as much as it used to be I think, um, but it's definitely something that's real. Uh, be it if it's you pull up at a light and someone's locking their doors or clutching their purse as if I need your car or your purse, you know, and it's like, I have no interest in taking anything from you. I have my own. And, you know, I think that it's just a space that some people still are uncomfortable with. That's I, I just break it down to, you know, you, you don't have the potential knowledge because of your ability to buffer yourself from it all. You could turn the TV off. Mm-hmm. You just don't have to worry about it anymore until it's in your face in some way, shape or form, which oftentimes is um, where you get the most uncomfortable. And then you either go worse or you get better. <laughs> you embrace it and say, OK, wait a minute, maybe there's something here or you say, ah, that's just what I thought. And you run away from it. You know, it's that conversation that gives us the ability to be better. But if you don't have to have it, then you don't grow. It's a learning moment potentially for us that 
I think we oftentimes shy away from or, like you say, uh, turn off if it's something on TV or whatever. It's like, uh, I don't need to hear this. Right. So I really appreciate your attitude about this. You know, while it may seem normal to you, um, it's not for me. And and I would, I think probably not for most of our listeners. So I really appreciate your, and I would say most of our guests have come across this way for me. So I just want to highlight that a little bit because Absolutely. I think, I think you take a, uh, hmm, I'm thinking of the word magnanimous comes to mind. I don't know if that's the right word, but a, uh, a friendly, non-confrontational, let's not start the third world war over this, but you're willing to have a disagreement in as friendly a way as you're able to do that to help somebody else see something that maybe they're not seeing. Right. And I feel like that's something that I'm attempting to um, adopt personally and help our listeners to also adopt to realize that for an awful long time, uh, most of your life, I, I'm hearing you say, and the other guests that we've had most of their lives as well, they have had to figure out a way to just work with the fact that driving while black and all of these other things are just you normal, uh, everyday life things. Well, it's definitely... I think it's in our best interest to always look for a way to get better. I mean, you know, so when you talk about the uh, opportunity to grow, you know, I look at every encounter, you know, the same way I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't always want to be mad and bitter and frustrated. It's like, that's just a bunch of negative energy. And then I'm going to be doing the same thing and giving it off to my kids or co-workers or whatever and it's more than just driving black it's you know it's, it's working while black it's shopping while black it's yeah. you know it's so you can put a whole bunch of things in front of black and the the outcome can be identical um, unfortunately the driving part uh, can end your life but the working part can end your career and your money so you know you find a way to to find happy mediums in life. And me, myself, I've just made a decision that it's just in my best interest to just kind of try to have an appreciation for, for all people and try to find a way to always be calm in a space. Because if you know that it's coming, it makes more sense to prepare yourself in a calm manner versus because angry is just not going to always work for everybody, but there's enough angry people out there that if you encounter them, you'll see the difference between them and me. So we don't all need to be angry, but don't, 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 don't think that everybody is so nice, you know? And I think that for the listeners, I think that we all have an ability to just keep getting better at what we're doing, you know? Um, and everybody don't understand everyone's perspective. I mean, you know, just because I'm black don't mean I understand somebody who's white's perspective on a lot of different things. But the difference is you don't have to ask me. You have power. 
you have some privilege. You don't potentially have to run certain things by me, you know, be it if that's the work environment or just out and about. There's just a there's just an okayness almost for most to just say what they want whenever they want it, you know, and not have to worry about if that's offensive, you know, be it if it's can I touch your hair or, oh, you're well spoken or any of those things that we sometimes get as African-Americans that maybe white people don't understand. Um, No, I don't want you touching my hair. And what did you think I was going to sound like? You know, it's like it's just these expectations that do not live up to what we feel is us as African-Americans. So I'm supposed to be well-spoken. That's what I've always thought. That's what my grandfather's told me. That's what my mom told me. They told me to have good manners. So why do you think I shouldn't have good manners? You know, and I think that every time an opportunity comes up, I don't jump at the opportunity to correct someone because they're, you know, uneducated around how their comment may have impacted me. They often will just get a pass. And then I'll let you say that to someone else and then let them somewhat rip you a new one. And then maybe you'll figure it out. But we don't all need, we, we can't all be the same. And I think that there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of growth on both sides. I, I try to be mindful about how I react in particular in situations when it comes to race relations, because it can affect too many outcomes for not just me for even, but even for those who support me, you know, if I, I like to be a connector. So if I have a bad encounter that I have no clue about, I could totally run into that person at a meeting in a week. It's like, Hey, we ran into you and that wasn't that great. Now I got to figure out how do I backpedal which I don't really think I should have to backpedal, but you made a comment to me and this has happened to me before you make a comment to me and we don't even know one another that may not really resonate that wonderful with me just in passing or, and now I have to figure out how we pick up in a new place that really started from one that was kind of negative, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the, 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 in the, the situation I'm talking about in particular was a white gentleman took a spot from me at a parking, it was, it was a parking spot. And he totally knew that I was getting ready to park in this spot and whipped in instead and just totally took the spot, which was just, I don't know. He didn't, he, it didn't have to happen that way. He totally knew that I was getting ready, but it was like first come first serve kind of in like, he's going to bull guard and get the spot. And then I, I turned around and I rolled my window down and said, you know, sir, it, I'm, I'm sure you see me getting ready to back up. So, Oh no, I wasn't really paying attention. It's, sir. You, you, yes, you were, sir. You were, but that's okay. You, you keep that side. And he said, you know, I'm so sorry. Should, should I move? No, no, no. You keep the spot. And I think that, he was probably more prepared for me to be the angry black man. But to me, I needed to show everybody is not mad and angry, even though we know that things are not just, and it's not fair. We don't all have to cuss you out, you know, make a scene, even if a scene is warranted. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, I need to be one of the few, if that's the case that will, let something slide every now and then, because if I don't, 
how many situations am I going to have this week where my blood pressure is high over something that I had no control over, but someone viewed me a certain way, treated me a certain way, um, just didn't consider me. They walk past me and serve somebody else first. You know, if I walk into a restaurant and, you know, and I'm standing in line, it's like, well, can I help you? Uh, yeah, I want to eat. That's what I thought. But no, thank you. Now I'll go somewhere else. You know what? What else? Why else would I be? It says wait to be seated. And can I help you? It's like, yes, we're here to eat versus, oh, party of three. Three of us standing here. We're coming in to eat. You know, so it's little things like that, that maybe they're not all done out of malice. But when you have so many situations that you run across in your life that, you know, are out of malice or uh, intimidation or, or whatever it is, it's very easy to begin to lump a lot of stuff in. And then when you have, you know, uh, the powers to be not to get on another level, but making everything seem OK, you know, when. When you have administration that says, hey, it's OK, everybody just. Be your best at whatever your old rooted ways are, that's not so good for everybody, then there it, it seems like we can sometimes be going backwards. And I don't really want to go backwards. I've been doing too much work, you know, for my kids, for my family, for my community to just run around angry all the time, you know, so I choose this instead yes my sincere thanks to Marcus for being our guest today on episode number 9 because Marcus shared so much thought provoking content I decided to edit our conversation into two parts to give you time to process the serious nature of what he shared with us In this part one, I hope what Marcus said gave you much to consider in seeing racism through a new lens. Please remember, as Marcus reminded us, we don't have to change. We get to choose change and that we should learn how to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Would you like to know more about how Marcus's neighbor, who shot his mom's car windows out in Little Rock, became their good friend over time? Would you like to know more about the distrust of police that Marcus and many black families grow up with? If so, please go to our Facebook page at My Awakening Podcast to pose any questions or comments for Marcus or any previous or future guests. We are excited for your interaction with Marcus and any other guests. Please begin educating yourself about systemic racism and what is really going on with our long-standing racial problems by going to the resources section at the bottom of our website at myawakeningpodcast.com. If hearing Marcus today was meaningful for your journey, we hope you will subscribe to and share our podcast with your friends. Don't forget that next week's episode number 10 will be part two of Marx's conversation with me. You won't want to miss this final part of his conversation. Please keep listening and remember that together we can make the systemic changes that are needed to heal America's racial divide and achieve justice for all. <laughs>